0: well good morning everyone good morning. it is good to be home Shirley said on Tuesday she said are you about ready to go home I said I was ready to go home yesterday so, it's good to be back it's good to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ here in Orange Street it's impressive to worship with 3,000 brothers and sisters in Christ But it's more touching to worship at home with those who are your immediate Christian family. And we sure missed you all, and I hope you missed us. Though there was, I think, about 25% of Orange Street was at Polishing the Pulpit this past week. And, And for the two of you that were here this past Sunday, I know your worship was pleasing to God. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about marriage. And... Those of us that are married, and I'm sure there's some young people here that envision that in their lives in somewhat near future, in the next five, ten years, whatever it may be. Uh, marriage can be a difficult thing because we have this mental picture uh, that comes from fairy tales and fables. This, And they lived happily ever after. And, you know, we think, oh, well, that's fairly new, but it's not. It dates all the way back to the 13th century. In a 702 English translation of the Italian, uh, I know I'm going to botch this, and I even had it, Boccaccio, that's correct, I'm pretty sure. Boccaccio's El di Camarone. Uh, listed in the Oxford English Dictionary, the earliest citation of this phrase. Paganino, hearing the news, married the widow and they were very well acquainted and so they lived very lovingly and happily ever after. That's in the 1700s. But there's even a reference clear back to the 1300s. And this is in the early South English legendary or the lives of saints. And there's this phrase that sort of alludes to this idea. That maid was well paid ever afterward. And so there's this concept that we have that that life's going to be good, life's going to be wonderful. And especially in our relationships, that, you know, once I find, you know, I think the term today is my soulmate. Uh, once I find that right person, everything's going to be wonderful, and we're going to live happily ever after. You know, I can't, of course, my memory's not what it was, used to be, but I can't remember Shirley and I ever having an argument when we were dating. Ever. But I'm telling you, after our marriage, she became cantankerous. <laughs> because we've had plenty of arguments since then. And maybe it was the same for you. You know, I always tell, and I've told you this before when I'm doing premarital counseling, all those little things, this is the best it's going to be. All those little quirks your, your future spouse has, you know, if he you know, picks his nose or if he does this or whatever it means she does this, this is the best that it's going to be because everybody's on their best behavior when you're courting. You know, I, I'm sure, you know, that, that those of you that are hunters or fishermen and things, uh, when you were courting your, your spouse, you didn't take, you know, the deer to the house and expect her to field dress it for you or clean the fish for you, but once you're married, that sort of changes. And so once we get past that honeymoon stage, once we get past that courting stage, then this is life. And so this morning we're going to be talking about some of the challenges and, and that associated with relationships and specifically or including marriages. The first challenge I think that that comes out with marriage that comes with marriage is the challenge of adjusting. We all have expectations about what marriage is going to be about, you know, whether it's happily ever, living happily ever after or or expectations, you know, this, this is what my father did. So I would think that my husband's going to be like my father and things like that. Or this is how my mother cooks something or how my mother ironed my shirts or whatever. So I would expect that my wife is going to do the same thing that my what mother did. And when we're married, we find out that's not my dad and that's not my mom. And they do things differently. And when expectations aren't met, there's probably going to be conflict. And even the Bible speaks about it. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is like the tree of life. In other words, I have this expectation. When it doesn't, isn't realized, it causes me some problems. But when it is realized, I feel pretty good. And so when Shirley and I were married, I'm sure there were things that she thought that I should be doing that her dad did that I didn't do. But when I did those things that she thought her dad did, I fulfilled her expectation and vice versa. So how do you adjust to that? How do you adjust to that? Because when you don't have unfulf- when you have unfulfilled expectations, if I expected Shirley to do something or she expected me to do something and one of us didn't do it, there was pouting in our house. Now, you may not have ever had that. You know what pouting is. It's when one person just walks around with that long face and they don't talk and and they're just mopey all the time. I don't know how Shirley put up with it. <laughs> I admit it. I was a power. Still do upon occasion. But how do we deal with that? How do we deal? How do we meet that challenge? Well, a lot of it, and one of the things I do in, 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 in my premarital counseling, I have a list. What do you expect? And I have a list of all these different roles and, and situations that will come up in marriage. You know, who washes the dishes in your house? You know, who who does this? Who makes the bed? Who takes, picks up the dirty clothes? Who does this and that? And I would have all, you know, have the future husband, the future wife go down and check, you know, who they write, man, woman, man, whatever was, and then we get together. And it's amazing how different families are. That in our family growing up, you didn't leave your stuff laying around. You know, that was one thing with my dad. He did not call, uh, Stand, he could not stand clutter, so if you took your socks off, you put them in the dirty clothes hamper. He hadn't even had a chute that would go down to the basement. That's what we did. So maybe I'm not saying definitely, but maybe Shirley's family was a little different, and so we had we may have may or may not have had conflict over that. But you can see what I'm saying, you know, in your family where you grew up, your family of origin, you had different things, different ways, different people did different things. And you would expect that in marriage. You would expect that person that you're marrying to just do which, the way it's always been, what you expect. And so it takes an adaption. It takes knowing. It takes talking, communicating with each other. Hey, you know, my dad always took the garbage out. Well, you know, my mom always took the garbage out. How about we do this? How about I gather the garbage out and up and you take it out? Okay, we'll work. That'll work, you know. And allow some mistakes, some forgetfulness. You know, I think about David, King David. Here's a man after God's own heart, a, a man that God truly loved. And David, after he was through with his wars and things, he said, here I am. I'm living in a fine house. And God's in a tent. He's in a tabernacle. And he said, I want to build God a house. And we, and we read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. But when you read on, God says, tells Nathan to go tell David, "Nah." no you're not going to build me a house. Your son will build the house, but not you. And he tells them later when David's going over it that God told him that David had been a man of war, that there was much blood on David's hands, so, and that his son would be a son of peace. But imagine, here's you, and you have it. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you say, I want to do this for God I want to do this for you God I want to express my love for you and God tells you through a prophet no you're not going to do that I'm going to let this person over here do that what would you do what would I do I tell you I'd be tempted to pout would, wouldn't you why, why can't I do that God why not me I'm a man after your own heart. I've, 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 I've failed at times, but yet I, you've always been first in my life. You know what David did? He started gathering up the material to build the temple. He said, I can't build it. God says, I'm not the man to build it, but I'm going to make sure that the man to build that does build it is going to have everything that he needs. That may be one of the reasons why David was a man after God's own heart. Because when you and I, when our expectations aren't met, sometimes we pout. Sometimes we moan and groan and we just get all, we won't talk, we're mad, we just want to be mad. David says, no, I'm just going to help, I'm going to facilitate, I'm going to help in whatever way to bring this about. So if you're in a marriage and your expectations aren't met, first thing, you need to talk about them. Secondly, you need to quit pouting about them if you are. And realize it's not always about you in that marriage. And David understood that. And so even though he didn't get his expectations met, he did whatever he could to facilitate Building that temple for God. Secondly, relationships, including marriages, will face the challenge of being loyal. Now, right away, when we think about loyalty, we think about physical intimacy. We think about, you know, not committing adultery, Romans chapter 13, verse 9, and, and loving our spouse, Proverbs chapter 5, 15. And following, drink from your own cistern. And and we understand that. There there is a physical intimacy that we should be loyal to each other. Uh, the Hebrew writer says the marriage bed is holy and the bed or the marriage is holy and the bed undefiled. And so we understand that loyalty, but there's an additional loyalty that maybe sometimes we don't understand. What do you do when someone belittles your spouse or mistreats your spouse? Maybe not in an overt way, but maybe in a sly, covert way. You stand up for them? Are you loyal to them? You know, even when your spouse, you know, is in part with that ID10T problem. Are you all familiar with that? The ID10T, the story is that a, a person called computer uh, support and, and said, you know, that, that cup holder in my computer, it, it's not working. And they said, the cup holder, yeah. He says, you know, that thing that comes out and it has like a little hole in it, 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 it doesn't go in and out. And the tech person says, oh, hold on a second, let me get my boss. And he calls his boss, boss, we have an ID10T problem. And if you're not getting it, I-10, how you spell it, (laughs) I-T, might sort of look like the word idiot. (laughs) Sometimes our spouses, sometimes guys, this typically seems to be more for us, we act Like we have an ID10T problem. And we do foolish things sometimes. There's a reason that there's all these things on the Internet about foolish things that men do. And if you want a good chuckle, just watch them. Because, guys, sometimes we do some pretty ID10T kind of things. But even so, as a wife, though we may under our mind think this guy's really... Whatever you want to put it, there must be that loyalty. There must be that care. There must be that loyalty that this is my spouse, and I'm going to support her. She's going to support him, and no one is going to belittle them. I think about Isaac. Or excuse me. I think about Abraham. You know, here's Abraham, that God said was the father of the faithful. Is our spiritual father. But yet, in many ways, he wasn't loyal to Sarah. Not only was he not loyal in that he fathered a child through her handmaiden, Hagar. I mean, obviously, she goaded him into that, but he should have had enough trust in God that he wouldn't have succumbed to that. But also remember when they traveled out of Palestine and they went into Egypt or they went before King Abimelech later that Abraham told the king that Sarah's my sister. And in a way, I mean, it was a half-truth. She was a half-sister. But the reason he did that is so that he... He was afraid that he might be killed if they found out that she was his wife, that they would kill him and then take her into their harem. That's not loyalty. He wasn't loyal to Sarah. And sometimes as individuals, we can get in situations where we're around our buddies or we're around our girlfriends. And, and, you know, and they're all belittling their wives, you know, especially, hopefully Christians don't do that. But, you know, you're around your your buddies at work and they're belittling their wives. Or you're around your girlfriends at work and they're belittling their husbands. and, And you just get swept up into that. One of the challenges of marriage is Loyalty. Loyalty. Because we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have those ID10T moments. But we must be loyal to each other. Another challenge in marriage is the challenge of respect for each other. And this goes along to lo- with loyalty, but the idea that that there is a mutual honor and respect for each other. In first Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we read, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs, heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. Here God ties that relationship, that husband's relationship to his wife as he honors her, he respects her, ties it to his faithfulness to God. In other words, if you do not respect, if, you're not, if you don't honor your, your wife, then your prayers are going to be hindered. And then in Ephesians chapter 5... And down, you know, in Jesus chapter 5, begins in verse 22, submit to one another, and, and goes down about wives submitting to their husbands, husbands to uh, love their wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. But when you get down to the end of that context in verse 33, there's a verse there, we usually end at 32 and, and maybe skim over 33, but notice what Paul says. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular, so love his own wife, his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, one of the challenges in marriage is having respect for each other, because we have those ID10 mo- mo- moments. We do. Foolish things, sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes because we don't show that respect. And so we must do that. I have an illustration here. We talked a little bit about that in Bible study. But the story is of a a husband who got his wife a nice shotgun for Christmas. I mean, it was a nice one. I'm not a big shotgun guy, but supposedly, I mean, it was all laid up, one of those Couple three thousand uh, dollar guns that they use for shooting skeet or trap, and all engraved and everything. She never said a word. Never said a word. She just acted like it was the greatest gift that she had ever received. The next year at Christmas time, she bought her husband a set of pearls, <laughs> and she told her girlfriend, "They were nice pearls." Why didn't she get all bent out of shape? The respect. He needed some teaching. And he learned. It took him a year to learn, but he learned. And so there must be that mutual respect for each other, to honor each other. Next, relationships, including marriage, will face the challenge of financial, financial issues. When you look at the top three things for, that causes divorce, money's always in there. Money is always going to be in the top three as far as causing problems in relationship or issues. And and it just requires someone to be disciplined. Um, When we look at the Bible, you know when Jesus fed the thousands, he just didn't leave the scraps laying around. He told them to collect them. In other words, here's something that could be used, let's use it. In other words, he was conscious of the value of something. And so in a marriage, there has to be some communication. There must, have, must be some kind of discipline enacted. Now, how you do that in your marriage may be different than how Shirley and I do it. It may be different than how someone else does it. But you must come up with something because if you don't have a plan and you don't work the plan, it's eventually going to lead to turmoil and dissension, unmet expectations. We're back to point number one. If you grew up in a house where your parents never spent money on anything and your spouse buys, I mean, Amazon knows them by name, you're going to have problems. On the other hand, if you grew in a house where where you had a budget and you could spend on it what you want, whether you're from Amazon or whatever, and... Your husband or wife came from the other, there's going to be problems. In other words, there has to be a plan. What works for you needs to be worked. One does not always need the latest phone, the fastest computer, the newest car, the most fashionable clothes. But you need a phone. And in this world, you need a computer. Our school systems understand that. You need transportation, and you need to be covered. And so how you work that out as a family is going to be individual. But the point is, if you don't have a plan, there's going to be turmoil. And that's a challenge that you will deal with. Relationships, including marriage, may face the challenge of raising children. You know, we think, and that's, I don't know if it's a worldwide thing and, and you know, or goes back to Genesis, but we, ex- we think in marriages, if a couple get married, they're going to have children. That's not necessarily so. Some couples would rather adopt, rather not have children. Matter plans plans, how they're going to live their life goes in a different direction. It's neither right nor wrong, it's a matter of choice. But if you do have children, we live in a world today where the person that has hierarchy, the highest hierarchy or the highest level in the family, is our child. You ever think about that? Mothers become chauffeurs for their child. Dads become coaches for their child. Everything is about the child, but that's not God's plan. I'm not saying that we should not encourage our children. I'm not saying we should not teach our children. I'm saying that in our society today, our children have taken preeminence in the home, and that wasn't God's plan at all. And God's plan, He has preeminence. God first, everything else, after that. And God's plan, the husband and wife come after him that relationship between the husband and wife and husbands if you're taking you're you're more concerned about your children than your wife you need to change because one of these days those kids are going to leave your house and you're going to look at that woman and you are think well I want to I'm going to spend she's going to take care of me the rest of my life and she's going to say buddy those days are over Wives, you think those children are going to love you and take care of you and, and they're going to come around all the time when they're married, you know. Oh, your, bo- your little boy, your little girl, they're going to come over to your house every weekend. It ain't like that. You ask anybody whose children have left the home. They might touch, they might call you, but usually when they call you, they need something. See, we all know the drill. <laughs> God first, that husband-wife wife relationship second, and then children. And we have an obligation as parents: we're to raise that child, and the nurture, and the admonition, and the training, and the instruction of God. That is the primary focus of every Christian parent. And the older I get the more I believe that if a person is not a New Testament Christian, that person does not know how to love their spouse and does not know how to love their children and does not know how to rear their children. Because if we're not getting it from God, who do you think we're getting it from? We're getting it from those people out in the world, and I don't know about you, but from what I see of the world, it's going crazy. Do I want them to tell me how to raise my children? I want God to tell me. And I have to understand, this is God's plan. God's plan is that he's to take preeminence in the family, the husband and wife relationship second, and the parent-child relationship is third. That doesn't mean we treat our child like cattle, but we have to understand there's a hierarchy that needs to be. And if our children see that we put God first in our life, who do you think they're going to put first in their life? If you're not just yielding to it, they're, they're beck and calling. I, I get the kick. And this will be my last rambling. I get the kick. I, it's funny to me how parents today, and maybe I hope you're not one of them, that they'll fix a different food for every child in the house. And they'll say, what do you want for dinner? Well, I want nuggets. Okay, what do you I want pancakes. What do you want? Well, you know, I want, I want SpaghettiOs or whatever it is. And every child gets their own menu. I don't know about how it was with y'all, but on our house, there was only one menu. That was Dad's menu. Whatever Dad wanted for dinner, we either ate it or we went hungry. And you can tell we ate it pretty good. You know, going hungry wasn't fun. But even those little subtle things we don't realize how much we're lifting our children up to a position that God never intended for them. Are they a blessing from God? Yes. Are we to train them? Yes, we are, all those things. But in the home, God says he's first, the husband-wife relationship is second, and children come third. Sometimes that causes problems in relationships. It would be wonderful as we close out If every relationship ended and they lived happily ever after. But often that's not the case. But it can be. Maybe not always happiness, but joy. If we will put into our lives God's plan for a husband wife relationship, if we will put in our lives put into effect in our lives. God's plan for rearing children. They may not always be happy because Jesus said in the world, you're going to have troubles. But he went on to say, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And so we may not always have pa- happiness, but we can have joy knowing that what we do, no matter what comes, is what the Lord would have us to do. You know, you think about Jesus God in the flesh. And when he came to earth, he says, my will, my meat, my nourishment, the very thing that keeps me alive, was to do the will of my Father in heaven. He understood that relationship. How about you this morning? Do you understand your earthly relationship with your spouse, with your children, if you have them? But more importantly, do you understand your relationship with God? Because when you're in a state of sin, when your sins have not been forgiven, the Bible tells us that we have no hope and are without God in the world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. It also tells us that when we're in a state of sin, that God turns his face from us, that he won't even listen. He won't respond to our prayers. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 had a conversation with one of my daughters a while back. She wasn't being as faithful as she should. And I think it was when Shirley was having health problems. I said, one of these days, you're going to want to pray for your mom, or you're going to want to pray for me, or you're going to want to pray for your husband, or your Grammy, or whoever it may be. And you're going to want God to hear those prayers. But because of your life, he won't. We don't think of it that way. We don't think of that time in our life when we're going to be that person that prays fervently. Because someone we love in this life so much, there's only hope that they have is God. And we're going to cry and we're going to weep and we're going to get down on our knees and we're going to plead with God. God's going to turn his face from us because he never knew us he never knew us Jesus understood the relationship with his father was the most important and we can have that relationship through faith in Christ a faith that is demonstrated initially by repentance confessing that faith before men, and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins And then we know with full assurance that God will answer and he will hear our prayers. And if we ask according to his will, he will answer our prayers. That's assurance, confidence. The Hebrew writer says we can approach the throne boldly with confidence. But without a relationship with God, there's not that assurance. There's not that confidence so if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with God, you need it. You need it more than anything else that you ever, that in this, anything else in this life. We'd like to help you to have that. And if you have that relationship with God, but you've given it up, you've turned away from it, come back. Come back. Come back to the God who loves you and will forgive you who will embrace you as he sees you coming over that figurative hill. He'll run to meet you and embrace you as a child of his. Come back. If we can help in any way, won't you come as we sing this song of encouragement?